Stand up. We're going to read Psalm 90. I'm going to read Psalm 90. You can follow along either on the screens or in your Bible. And then we'll get to work here, okay? Psalm chapter 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or if even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Father, we acknowledge today that our life is but a breath. That our days are numbered. Father, that... They pass away as with a flood, as with the watch in the night. And Father, we desperately want to behave wisely in this life. God, we echo Moses' prayer that you would establish, that you would build, that you would firm up the work of our hands. God, that we might do something that lasts. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the reasons this psalm is an interesting psalm is because it is written by Moses. So most of all the psalms are either written by David or the sons of Korah, somewhere in that demographic. But this particular psalm is written by Moses. So most people think this is one of the oldest psalms. Um, and, and the context is really fascinating. So when you think about what it's about. So basically this psalm, if I could just sum it up, Moses is saying, your life is fleeting. Your life is fleeting. It is passing by. It will be gone before you know it. And if you don't realize that, you will not act wisely. So teach us a number of our days. Now, how how interesting that he says that in the context of a generation dying off in the wilderness, never getting to the promised land. You know, you think about that. Moses' life is divided in 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years as a shepherd. And the last 40 years was his ministry as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt from slavery into the promised land. But they, they don't believe God. They get to the edge of the promised land. They don't trust him. They don't believe him. And so they have to wander in the wilderness until 1.2 million of them pass away. In Exodus chapter 12, I believe it is, it says there are 600,000 men that were led out of Egypt toward the promised land. So if you count that many, at least, women, and then probably it says there were others as well, not Israelites, but we're just not going to count them. So we're going to say 1.2. So Moses writes this. Moses writes, teaches the number of our days and we may have a heart of wisdom as he's watching 1.2 million adults die in a 40-year period. 
That's around 82 funerals a day. That's a lot of funerals. So, how do we have a heart of wisdom? You know, one of the things that we say all the time is, I don't have enough time. Don't we say that constantly? Uh, I don't have enough time for this. I don't have time to be a part of this. I don't have time to come. I don't have time to, you know, go there or visit you or this or that or that, you know. And and let, let me just say, you are absolutely right. Okay? You're right. In fact, here, here's the way I would say this. You are more right than you even know, <laughs> right? So when, when you say, I don't have enough time, that is correct. And most likely, you have less time than you think you do. As the second service was emptying out, one of our ladies stopped and said, man, she goes, that sermon really hits home because my son's, one of his best friends from, from college, uh, stood up at Henderson Hills, I believe it was, church in, uh, in Oklahoma City the other day to sing, drop down dead. And that's the case. Now, not, that, that's not going to happen to everybody. But, but here's the reality. Nobody expects to die when we die, right? I mean, it never, it never, it never happens that way. We, we always expect to live more. And we always expect those around us to live more. And so when you say you don't have enough time, you're right. You literally don't have enough time. And the reality is, you have less time than you think you do. And that's what Moses is getting at today. But that's not the case for God. So God is completely different than that. Let me, let me tell you why. Because verse 2 says, God is from everlasting to everlasting. So God stretches from eternity past all the way to eternity future and he's there at the same time now because of that look at verse 4 verse 4 says for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night all right so so from god's perspective a thousand years is what yesterday was for you now if you're like me, you got to think, what did I do yesterday? You know, how'd that go? I mean, it just went by that fast. Like, it's, it's hardly a memory in our mind, isn't it? A watch in the night. A watch in the night was a four-hour period in the middle of the night. Now, for most of you, you don't remember anything of it, right? Because you were snoozing. Now, if you got little kids, it may have been a lot longer. I know I got up this morning at 5, and my wife was not in bed. She was over in Colt's room, so evidently, you know, something happened in the night. So her night was probably a little bit longer than, than mine. But, but the point there is, it, a thousand years to God is just like that. It's a watch in the night. Verse 5 says it's like a flood that sweeps you away. A flood comes and whatever was there is gone. It's like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, then it's renewed, then it fades and withers away. And so, so the psalmist that Moses is telling us that for God, a thousand years is just like that and our lives will pass away just as fast. A few days ago, we moved here. Uh, Hannah's three... Addie was one. We were driving a Chevy Caprice, an old police car. We were homeless. We lived with a family in the church for a couple months. And that was 20 years ago. Now Hannah's 23 and Addie's 21. And they both moved away. You know that you're getting old when you talk like that. Okay? <laughs> Like, I, I never talked that way when I was young. Like no, no young person ever says that. Only old people say that, right? And, and like, I've crossed that threshold where, where that's real to me. Like, I get that. I'm like, 
20 years. We've been here 20. I've been in that 20 years. How did that happen? That's true. But you, you, here's the thing. There is no way to convince the next generation how quickly time flies. And I don't fully know yet how quickly time flies, right? Because here in a couple days, they're going to have a ramp and somebody's going to push me up in a chair, right? And they're going to put the microphone behind me and I'm going to say, 60 years, Emma and I moved here, you know? <laughs> Hannah was just three. <laughs> I mean, that's going to happen. Like, that's tomorrow. But you, see, they're, Brady and Angela, they can't know that. Like, they, they think their little boys are going to be little boys forever. And that we got all the time in the world. And I'm not picking on you guys. I mean, that's, that's what everybody thinks. Like, you can't not think that. You always think, I got time. I got time to invest in them. I got time to share the gospel. I got time. We got time to do this. There'll always be time. It's all stretched out in front of you. But the reality is, it, it isn't. But we don't know that. We have to be taught that by a supernatural God. That's why Moses says in verse 12, teach us to number our days. You don't need to be taught something you already know. Right? And so what is implied there is that none of us realize how fast our life will be gone. That's what he's saying. We don't realize that. We have to be taught that. Man, I can tell you, I remember... I remember thinking that I literally was going to die before algebra class was over. Like, like that it, I mean, I remember that. Like, it just seemed like an eternity. I remember, man, I tell you what, the worst job in the world for a, a full of energy teenage boy is tractor driving, you know? I mean, I remember my dad would drop me off early in the morning, and I'd be out there in the middle of nowhere in eastern Colorado, and I would be driving forever, and I would look at my watch, and it, it, this is the worst time of the day. It's 3.01, you know? And I would drive, you know, chicken hawk, you know, rabbit, you know, mouse, mouse, chicken hawk. Oh, that was, that's the exciting thing I saw all day, you know? I'm hot, I'm thirsty, get a drink from my water jug, you know, get back on track, turn the corner, drive. Oh, sure, it's, it's got to be 6 o'clock. 303, you know what I mean? I mean, literally, it was that way. Like, I, I mean, I just felt like my whole life is in slow motion and everything was ahead. Like, I couldn't wait until this and I couldn't wait to get out of school and I couldn't wait to, you know, move away from Scott City and I couldn't wait to, and, 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 and we live much of our lives that way. So Moses says, God, you got to teach us to number our days. Because if we don't know that, here's what will happen. We will not be wise. So, so if, you don't, if you don't learn to number your days, look at verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So what's the implication of that? If you don't number your days, you don't have a heart of wisdom. Because you... Now, think about what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to love and choose the right things. Okay, the best things. A lot of times we think of wisdom in a very practical sense, and, and that's, that's perfectly good. I mean, I mean, the reality is, is that you have to have wisdom to choose, you know, how to handle conflicts and what to buy and what to give your effort to and how to spend your time and relationships and what to invest in and who to invest in and how to, how to handle suffering and adversity. All those things are, are wisdom-based, but wisdom is the ability to love and choose the right things. And what Moses is saying is you cannot love and choose the right things if you don't number your days, you won't be wise. Jacob and Carly were going to uh, Yosemite National Park a few years ago, and, 
And so they had us, uh, no, we, they, we had them over. They, they came over to our house. I think we're still waiting on a dinner from them. I think that was supposed to happen. But <laughs> anyway, uh, that's not a point of the story. So anyway, they came over to our house, and um, um, we fed them a really nice meal. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I keep getting stuck on that. So <laughs> that's the story. Okay. Anyway, they came over to the house, and they said, all right, we're going to Yosemite National Park. And they said, what, what do we need to see? Okay, now, there's another question that has to be asked before that one can be answered wisely. The other question is, how long are you going to be there? That makes all the difference in the world. If you're going to be there a week, then you must climb Half Dome. In my estimation, man, you got to get to the top of that piece of granite. I mean, that to me, that's the pearl, right? But if you're only going to be there a day... Well, then you can't do that, so you need to hike the mist trail and drive the valley floor, okay? Those are the two things that you got to do. But here's the nightmare scenario. The nightmare scenario is if you think you're going to be there a week, but you're only going to be there four hours. Now, see, if that's the case, then you're going to get all your gear. You're going to arrive in the valley, and you're going to go to the general store, and you're going to get all your gear, and you're going to pack all your supplies, and you get all your backpacking stuff, and you're just sleeping bag rolled up, and you're going to put it on your, your backpack, and you're going to test out your equipment, and you're going to get to the trailhead, and it's time to go home. And you saw nothing, right? I mean, that, like it matters. It matters knowing the time element. You cannot choose wisely unless you know that. Now, let's, let's give another illustration. Let's take the time element, and let's move it into currency, okay? So let's just say, ladies, let's say that you have a debit card that is ever replenishing for Walmart, okay? So whatever you buy at Walmart is always free. Like money keeps being put on there, and it's an endless amount of money. Now here's what I would say. You would not have the ability to be a wise shopper. Now you just couldn't do it. It's not because you're not smart. It's not because you, you watch all them coupon shows. I, I'm just saying you could not be a wise shopper in that scenario. Now, take the same person and give them a $20 bill and tell them, listen, you, you're not getting any money for the rest of the week. You have no groceries at home. And with this $20 bill, you have to feed your family for a week. That person automatically becomes wiser. Isn't that funny? Like, they didn't learn anything. They didn't take any other classes. They didn't. I can hear David Biffles laying like, that's what you're getting this week, honey. <laughs> I heard him living. He's like, here you go. <laughs> I figured out our problem. <laughs> okay. No, do you see what I'm saying? Like, that alone, just the time factor, the, the, the limited, not time, but the, the limit makes you wiser. What if I found out today, what if I found out right now, someone came up to me, and, I, and, and this, this could be verified and certain, that today would be the last day I would ever see my wife and children again. Now, would that affect my afternoon? Every minute would be spent intentionally. Every second would be savored. Every hour would, would, would have a distinct purpose what if what if it was two days well the same would be true what if it was three days well the same would be true what if it was a week you know you know i started playing out my mind what what, what point does it not become that way right because when it stretches out indefinitely and in my mind my thoughts are i'll always have them well then there's something about that that makes me not wise does that make sense like i don't make the best choices when I think that it's forever. So, Moses says, 
Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's interesting if we had time to unpack all this psalm, but verses 7 through 9 talk about not, not, only, not only our days numbered, but, but without Christ, you're, you're, you're headed to wrath. Okay, so verse 7 says, We're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dis- dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, for all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Man, you've you got to believe as he sees 1.2 million people never reach the promised land because of unbelief. That's a real thing to him. You can't waste your life in sin. There's consequence to that. Now, if you're a believer, obviously, the wrath of God will not be upon you because of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, it's interesting to me, in in the New Testament, we read um, this very clear theology about if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will be joined to him. You're, You're in Christ, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. But you know when you read Psalm 90 and Psalm 91, that same imagery is there. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. Like, we're, we're dwelling in you. You're, you're everlasting to everlasting, and we're in you. Verse, chapter 91 verse 1, listen to this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I mean, do you, do you hear that? That's, that's union talk, right? He's saying, God, we, I want to dwell in you. I want to live in you, in you. I want to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And, and if that's true of you, then man, verse, look at Psalm 91. Verse 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 are true. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It will not come near you. You'll only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Look at this confidence here. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. But the reality is, even for those of us who are joined to Jesus, we still live in a broken world. And what's the result of living in a broken world? Look at verse 10. The years of your life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Is that true for a believer? Absolutely. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Didn't he? One, one of, the, one of the, the benefits of Psalm 90 is, is not only that you would realize how short your life is, but that you would also realize that this is not heaven. You know, one of the ways you can squander your life really easy is trying to make this heaven. Man, there are people that work incredibly hard to make this right now their heaven. I mean, they are, they are strategizing, they are scheming, they are working, they are applying effort and energy to, to make this heaven, and this will never be heaven. No matter what you make here, it's not going to be your heaven. It can't be. And you're going to give an account for how you live this life. I read a Francis Chan, Francis Chan article this week. It's really good. And, and he... Uh, he talked about how he knew he had a, a friend who um, was coming before a, a judge and it was going to basically determine the rest of his life. I mean, it was a significant sentence. And, and he talked about how that, that man prepared and thought and strategized. You know, how much more? We're, we're, not, we're not coming before an earthly judge. We're coming before the judge of heaven. The almighty, everlasting to everlasting God to give an account for this one short life that he gave us to live. So, Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. I think verse 14 is, is the heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Man, if it's one thing that you get through this series in the Psalms, because we, we just hit this every week. You know, if it's one thing that you get, I hope that you get this taste, this expectation, this possibility that God could thrill your soul like nothing else can. 
Psalm 63 is the place where I think, for me, that's just centered in the Psalms, where, where David says, God, I thirst for you. I hunger for you. Your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. I mean, basically what we learn there is here's a testimony of, of a guy who, who had it all. Military victories, fame, a kingdom. He's a king. He's got more beautiful women in his house than he could count. And here's what he says he's learned. God, you're the only thing that satisfies my soul. Man, that's a great lesson to learn. And so isn't it interesting that hundreds of years, centuries before David writes that, Moses, as he's looking at how 1.2 million people are flying by into eternity, he says, God, satisfy us in the morning with your, same word, steadfast love, so that in this very short life I might rejoice and be glad all my days. So two big things in this psalm. Number one, God teaches us to number our days that we have a heart of wisdom. Number two, number two is the last verse. Okay, so look, look, look at the last verse with me. Verse 17. It's a prayer of Moses again. And he says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When you realize that your life is flying by, when you realize that it's almost gone, when you realize that you have a very short amount of time, what is it that, you really want. You, you want your work. You want what you do. You want how you live to matter. So, so he says, Lord, establish the work of our hands. The word establish means to firm up, to fix, to, to stabilize, to build. Okay? So it's like the picture of something that's kind of tottering and, 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 and it's being built up. You know, established, Lord. This is, this is the work of my hand. This is what I, what I put my time and I, my energy to, Lord. Make it solid. Make it worthwhile. That's, that's, that's what he's praying. Because there's a lot of things in life that we can give our time and attention to that they're gone. Some of you are house flippers, house connoisseurs. You buy an old house and then you go in there and you fix it all up real nice. That's wonderful. We don't do that. We use ours up, man. We put, we put miles on them. Tracks. Traffic. There's highways through our house. So I've only sold one house in my life. We bought uh, a home when we first moved here 20 years ago. And um, then we sold it seven years later and moved to the place we're in now. But a realtor told us, hey, you need, to, you need to spruce that up a bit, you know, before you put it on the market. And he told us some things we could do. So we put carpet in the main room, kind of the living room of the house. And uh, there was a guy who was out of work at church. And so we got him and Emma and, and we kind of figured out how to maybe lay ceramic tile. I don't think we did a great job, but we did our best, you know. I spent like a month painting that, the, all the siding all the way around. It, was, it took a lot longer than I thought. Just every day, every night after work, I was out there till past dark to paint that thing. And we got the deal sold. We sold it and made, made a good profit on it, able just to get into a, a different house. And we drove by there about a week after we sold it, and there was that new carpet out on the curb, and they had already painted all the other stuff over again. And uh, I just remember thinking, why did I waste my time? I mean, I should have known better, you know. There's a lot of things you can give your life to that they're gone. Some things God's actually going to work against. He's, he's not going to establish it. He's, 
Man, the, the, the sin that goes on in our world, listen to this. Verse 8, 1 John 3. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God is about the business of destroying the works of the devil. So, so what is this work? So Moses is praying, Lord, establish the work of our hands. What work is he talking about? Well, surely, you know, you guys will leave every week and you'll do what you do. You'll sell things and repair things and build things and manage things and all that. And, and is, is it okay to pray God establish the work of our hands? I, I think absolutely. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. So, so do your plumbing for the Lord. Do your construction for the Lord. Do your sales for the Lord. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So absolutely, I think that applies. But, but really, I think there's something bigger at stake here, okay? Now, why do I think that? Well, look at verse 16. Moses says, before he, he says, Lord, establish the work of our hands. In verse 16, he says, Lord, let your work be shown to your servants. You see what he just prayed? God, show us your work. God, what are you doing in the world? Would you, would you reveal that to us? Pull back the curtain, God, and show us your work. Reveal your, your power to your children. So what's God doing in the world? That's a good question. John chapter 4, here's an interesting Interesting statement of Jesus. Jesus said to them in verse 34 of John 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What was Jesus doing while he was here on the earth? He was doing the Father's work. What's the Father's work look like? Verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Is he talking about um, grain? He's not. He's talking about souls. Okay? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Okay, so Jesus maps out that here's what God is doing in the world. He is bringing men into his kingdom. And what are you doing if you're a born-again believer? That's what you ought to be doing. You're joining the Father's work. There are no Christians whom God has said, no, 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 not you, not you. you, you know, you're not going to be fruit-bearing. You're not going to be productive. You're not going to be a disciple-maker. You're not going to be my witness. You're, none, of that, none of that that I wrote in the Bible applies to you. There are no Christians for whom that applies. If you're a born-again believer, if you're connected to Christ, then you are that believer. In fact, Jesus wrote several different parables to make sure that you did not miss this. The parable of the talents, the parable of the meanness, all have the same theme. The master gives his work to his servants, and then he leaves with the promise that he will indeed come back, but they don't know when he's going to come back. Well, in each one of those parables, there are servants that go out, and they, they bust it out for him. They, they, they work hard, and they invest, and they, they produce a return. And then there's also a servant who doesn't, who just says, no, it's not, it's not, I'm going to do my stuff, not, not his. And then, then the master comes back and there is a day of an accounting. Jesus, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 that we're all workers. And not only are we all workers, but we're going to give an account for the work that we do and the quality of work that we did. So 1 Corinthians 3, look at, look at this, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Jesus is the foundation. Let each one take care of it, builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, air, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. That's the judgment day. We'll disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So not only whether you work, but also the quality of your work, whether it was with the truth of the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit and the motive of the glory of God, will come under the fires of God's judgment. So Moses prays. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Jesus told a bunch of fishermen that they'd be, from now on be fishing for men. He told a bunch of farmers that they were to sow to the Spirit and that they were going to reap eternal life. He told a bunch of farmers that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. He told a bunch of construction workers in Ephesians to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. There is work in which you must do. Now, here's what I think is true. I don't think there are born-again believers out there who say, I'm not going to do it. I'll just face God in the end. I, I don't think that's in people's hearts. But you know what I, I do think is in people's hearts? Not, not right now. Not right now. God, I got, I got too much going on. You know what I would like to, honestly, this, this is a sincere request. Would the person who has taken care of everything and doesn't have anything going on, would you see me after the service, okay? Because I, I, I want to meet you, you know? I, I, I would love to meet that person who has reached that point in their life where they don't have anything going on and they've got everything taken care of and there's no, you know, I, I want to meet you. I got a feeling it's going to be an infant is who I have a feeling it's going to be, you know? So this is not a question. Here's where we could go really wrong. I struggle with this. I struggle with this, this sermon and then, man, our tendency is to be like, okay, I'll chalk that away and I'll get to that. I, I, don't, I don't think we can do that. I, I think if we're going to obey what we just read, if we're, God teach us to number our days, if we're, if we're serious about that, that, that I might have a heart of wisdom about my life, and God, I want you to establish the work of my hands. I want to be a part of your work and I, wanna, I want you to establish that then we got to do something right now. So get out, get out your pen. So some of you got pens, go ahead and get those out. you got a bunch of papers in the bulletin that we gave you, so you got that. Um, not everybody's moving, so I'm assuming you don't have a pen. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. If you have one of these, turn it on, put your little passcode in. <clears throat> don't call anybody. <laughs> Most of you will have a little note section on there. It's, uh, if you go down at the bottom, it's got a little square with a little pencil in it. Okay, that's for you. You can... Pop that, and now you have an instant pencil, okay? So you can type that in, all right? So everybody got something to write with or some way to do this? Okay, here's, I mean, we, we just got to, like, like here, here's why we can't wait, because our life is passing away. And if you've already waited 10 years or 20 years, then, man, I'm afraid, I'm afraid we'll, we'll wait too long. So let's, let's do it now. I want, I want you right now to make a list some people in your life who don't know Jesus, okay? A list of your life, you know, people in your life who don't know Jesus. They, they've not come to see his glory. They've not come to give their life to him. They've not come to put their faith in him. They're not plugged into a, a fellowship of believers. They're not living and walking by faith. So begin to write down 
a list. Now, some of you have already knocked out 20 names, okay? That's great. Some of you are going to need some help. You're, you're thinking, do I know anybody? You know, you can't even think of anybody. Who do I know? You know, what's that guy's name up there? You know, um, so let me help you, okay? So think through some friends who don't know Jesus. So you have friends in your life that don't, don't know Christ. They, they've not come to see in his glory. Do you have some relatives, okay? Now, surely we've all got some relatives, right, in our life who, who don't, don't know Christ. So do you have some relatives? Do you have some neighbors, okay? Uh, people on your block, people around the corner, people that you wave to when you, when you drive by in the morning. You gathered their limbs up a week ago. Okay, so do you have some neighbors that don't, they don't know who Jesus is? Maybe some parents of the kids on your son or daughter's basketball team. Maybe your kids have friends. Maybe, maybe you help in Team Kid. You, are there some kids in Team Kid, man? Are there ever some kids in Team Kid who don't know Jesus? Yes, there are, okay? Maybe you teach a Sunday school class. There's some kids there who don't know Christ. Maybe you're, maybe you're a youth worker or you know some youth. Or maybe some people you play ball with or bridge with or cards with or bowl with or the waitress at your favorite restaurant. I, I love to think of those kind of people. I, I tend to eat at the same places over and over again. I begin to know people names i begin to keep them in my phone people that that you that serve you in that way maybe a bank teller that you go to maybe a person that cuts your hair or does your taxes or grooms your dog or takes your blood pressure or mows your lawn or works on your car or coaches your kid or their teacher or their troop leader so hopefully by now you've got at least at least three five don't you people on your list that don't know jesus okay so i'm going to take this list this is our work okay this is our work okay our work is for them to see the glory of Jesus. We, 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 we want them to know who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has promised that he will do. We want them to know his character. Okay, it, it does not, it doesn't have to be that you go give a sales pitch, but if, if, if that's your only option, go do it, okay? The way I like to do it, but this is just me, it's just in the course of conversation. So I'm talking to them about life and and and. And things and work and kids and ball and, and politics and whatever. And whatever the conversation is, I try to aim for Jesus, okay? And whatever that is, you know? And they're like, and can you believe, you know, the, the people that march on Washington, you know? And I'm like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people that think they don't have justice. You know what, though? The Bible says there's justice coming, you know? My Bible tells me that God the judge is going to come and he's going to make every right wrong. He's going to make every wrong right. He's going he's to settle this whole deal. You know, that's the way I like to do it. Just keep pointing to Jesus, conversation, and maybe they'll let me in the door. Maybe they'll, they'll give me permission, but you're going you're gonna to pray. You're going to tell them, you're like, Pastor, I can't do it. You're right. That's why we're going to pray what Moses says. Establish the work of our hands. We're saying, God, this is my work, and I need you to shore it up. Okay, so don't, don't sweat it. Man, if you get tongue-tied, and you want, there was one time in your life you tried to share the gospel, and you did it so badly, the person actually threw up. They, they turned and threw up. It was so horrible, okay? And you're like, I, I can't. Okay, that's why God is here to help you. He, he, Moses prays, God, establish the work of our hands. So we're not going to sweat that we can't. We're going to trust that God can. We're going to tell people about the cross and about forgiveness and about a new heart and a new, new resurrection and righteousness inside of you, how they can be joined to Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going we're gonna to tell them about that. We're going to pray. We're going to pray, God, establish the work of my hands. God, build this up. Give me a means to communicate the gospel. And then miracles are going to happen. People are going to get saved. That will happen. How do I know that will happen? Fred Martin. Right there. That's how I know. That's how I know it will happen. 
You go back 25 years, nobody thought Fred would be a Christian. Nobody thought this would be one of our prayer warriors. Nobody thought that. Well, if God saves Fred, then why not the people on your list? I was voted my senior year of high school least likely to do anything of significance in his entire life. God can save anybody. Right? Daniel Castor. Every youth minister's nightmare. (laughs) What I'm saying is, we were all on somebody's list. Why not? Why not your list? Why why couldn't God do that? I think He will. Okay, so we're going to pray. God established the work of our hands. Now, now we're not going to stop there, though. Here's where we must not go wrong. Okay, God, shore this up, fix it up. When the miracle happens, that's when we're not done. That's when it begins, really. Now we we pull them in to a faith family. We pull them into a church. We pull them into a small group. We pull them into a Bible study. Why? Why? Because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, right? So, so what is it? Decide? Well, now we pull them in. Here's where a lot of people go wrong. If you just stop, your work's not done, okay? So we're not going to stop there. We're, we're going we're gonna to pull them into a faith family, into a Bible study, come to McDonald's, meet with me, come to my small group. We're meeting here. Come here, come to church, come to Sunday school, and we're going to learn what Jesus said about life and love and sin and death and resurrection and marriage and sex and forgiveness and anger and money and debt and poor and rich and children and discipline. We're going to learn what he said about those things. And then we're going to obey him together. I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. And while you're learning to obey what Jesus said, I'm also going to teach you to share who Jesus is with other people. Okay, now this is a shift for a lot of people, okay? For years in the American church, what we've thought is, no, 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 that didn't happen yet. You get saved, and then your job is to learn. And you're just, you're just going to learn. You're going to learn everything. You're going to memorize scripture. You're going to learn all kinds of stuff. You're gonna, and someday when you graduate from church, you know, and you know it all, and you got all the answers to everything, then you'll go out and tell somebody about Jesus. I'm firmly convinced that one of the reasons that America is in the tank is because the church thought that for 50 years. That is not true. You do not see that in the New Testament. You know what you see in the New Testament? People coming out of the baptismal waters and walking to the side of the bank and telling somebody what that means. That's what you see. You know what you see in North Africa? You see people who come to know Jesus, and as soon as they come to know him, Let's tell them about this, buddy. As soon as they come to know Jesus, they go tell somebody else. All right, so we're not going to wait. It's the death blow to wait. So, you got your list. You're going to pray. God, do a miracle. And you're going to be persistent. You're going to pray, Lord. Why does he pray this twice? Lord, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Why twice? I think think he's setting a a model for you, don't you? I, I need to pray this. I need to be persistent in praying this. God's going to do a miracle. You can draw them into a body of believers. 
You're going to learn together how to obey everything Jesus commanded. And while you're learning, you're going to go tell other people about Jesus. They're going to go tell other people about Jesus. And the kingdom's going to go forward. Now, small group leaders, are you here? Is there any small group leaders here? Okay, here's, here's what I need from you. I need you to go to your small group today with your list, okay? If, if you go to your small group and you don't have your list done, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't really do anything, but I'll be mad, okay? <laughs> like if you go there and you're like, ah, I don't know what he was saying. I didn't have a pen, you know? And then I got in the car and took a nap. You know, I don't, don't do that. You need to go. You know, you know why you need to go with your list ready? Because you're an example and you're a model to everybody else in that group. And you know why we put you in a small group? It's, it's not for culinary delight. I know that's what a lot of people think, you know, that we're like learning how to be great chefs. That's a good byproduct, by the way. I'm not against that. But that's not why we're in small groups. You know why we're in small groups? Because you need to be in a faith family. People don't, people don't make disciples well if they don't have people coaching them and challenging them and praying for them and encouraging them and going with them and modeling it and telling their stories. And you listen to, you listen to their stories and you tell them yours. That's, that's what we're doing. Are you learning how to preach? This isn't a bad model. I mean, I, I hope he does this someday. Wouldn't that be cool? I've been reading a book uh, about a highly successful college ministry. No snorting. No, you can't do that. You have to go sit down. And in that successful college ministry, no, you can't snort. That's going to be distracting. Come get him, Haddon. Go to mom. I'll get you in a minute. There were college students who were winning people to Jesus, and they were discipling people, and highly successful. You know, they, they would come to know Christ. They would witness somebody else. They would come to know Christ. They'd train those people. They would go out and witness. and just multiply, multiply, multiply. But then they begin to follow those kids, those young adults, into life, right? They get married. They get a job. They whatever. And, and what they found is some continued to be very successful at disciple making. While others, they, they, they still remain Christians. And, and they, they stay plugged into their churches. But they stop winning people. And they try to figure out why. So they did all these tests. You know, is it demographics? Is it marriage? Is it how many kids you have? Is it where you live? Is it the neighborhood you live? Is it whether you live around people? You know, I mean, they did all this. There's an interesting graph in the book about training. Like, is it how much training you have? It's not. That made zero difference. Isn't that that interesting? Of who who was a, a highly productive disciple maker after college. And then they hit on it. What they found, and this is almost 100%, was those who went on to get plugged into a particular kind of church and a particular kind of small group, a particular kind of Bible study in which they were surrounded with some people who were disciple makers. So in other words, if you, if you, if you got, after you left college, you got plugged in to a group of people and you met and they're telling you stories about how they went out and shared the gospel with their neighbor and how, they, how they've been praying for their friend and, and then they take you with it. They're doing all those things. They stayed productive. They stayed workers. They stayed establishing the work of their hands. Lincoln, that's a challenge for our small group ministry. It starts tonight. That's, that's what we want to happen. We want, we want to create an atmosphere where, where people are, 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 are helped. You know? I, I just can't imagine that there are Christians who are like, no, I don't want to do any of this. I just can't imagine that those exist. I think there are Christians that, and I want to do this, just it's hard. And 
I lack power. I lack strength. Let's help. Let's pray. God, we know that time is short. Father, we know that it's shorter than we can even imagine. God, we know that we are not guaranteed any more time. And so, Father, help us to start right now. Lord, that you give us a heart of wisdom about our life and that, God, you would establish the work of our hands. God, we desperately need that. We pray for your help. 